If you have your Bibles, open them up to James chapter 1, verse 13. And we are going to be considering this morning the importance of humbly receiving God's word. You know, this morning, James hits us right where we live in the area of pride and humility and anger, obeying God, caring for the needs of others. When you think about the important Christian qualities, humility really is one of the most important Christian qualities. And in some ways, it's actually something that flows naturally from salvation when you come to know the Lord. And we'll, we'll consider some of that. But, but I love reading the Bible and just seeing people that displayed this quality. One, one of these people is the person Apollos. Have you, any, any of you ever heard of Apollos in the New Testament? Some people feel like he wrote Hebrews. I think that's a possibility, although nobody knows who wrote Hebrews. But one of the things I love about Apollos is that you meet him in Acts chapter 18, and it says that he's preaching, and it says that he was very eloquent. He's very well-spoken. And it says that he was very competent in the scriptures. And not only that, he was passionate. So he was, spoke well, he knew the word, and he was passionate when he spoke. And it actually says that he spoke accurately about Jesus from the Old Testament. And so then Priscilla and Aquila listened to him preaching. And Priscilla and Aquila, it's a man and his wife, they hear him preaching and after he preaches and all these positive things are stated about him. In fact, I just think if you're a speaker and somebody said that about you, it's like you'd be thinking, oh, that's awesome. And after they heard him speak, they pulled him to the side and they instructed him. And they taught him more accurately the way of salvation. And so you have this very talented, gifted person who speaks powerfully. And when people hear him, they pull him to the side and say, hey, let me help you be better. And he was able to listen. So this morning, we're going to be considering just this whole attitude of humility, being able to receive instruction, be a that's trying to listen and learn and the center of it all is really how do we respond to God's word and so that's that's the center of it all so we're going to just talk about this morning the blessings of a humble approach to life and so there's there's three things that we're going to learn this morning the first one is that humility results in listening well now this first verse that we're going to be looking at talks about how we listen to each other how we interact with the people in our life. The, the second section talks about how humility results in receiving God's word implanted in your heart. And we're gonna see the way James uses this. He's gonna use this first section to help us understand that second part better. And then the third section is just the humility that results in saying, God, whatever I hear from you, whatever I learn from you, I'm gonna put that into practice. I'm actually gonna do it. And just that humble approach to life that says, God, I obey you. And James is awesome because he gives us these really specific tests because everybody, everybody many, many believers will say, oh, no, I'm religious and, and I love God. And, and then James says, but do you, how do you deal with your tongue? And how do you deal with people who are in need? And so he gives us these specific tests to say, okay, uh, I think I'm religious, but am I really? And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in this passage. And just the context of this passage, you know, James, the book is about mercy triumphs, how, how God just is so merciful to us. 
And the, the two things about mercy, God's displayed mercy to us and he wants, it to, to display, he wants us to display it toward others. And so chapter one of James, God pours out his mercy by just explaining trials to us and explaining to us that no matter what goes wrong in your life, God can use it for good. He pours out our, his mercy in our life. The second section of James is to say, this is what temptation is. He explains temptation, where it comes from, and how to overcome it. And ultimately, temptation is overcome by salvation in our life and by God's supernatural power of limiting the temptations that we face. And then he hits this section. And he's going to call us to consider, if you're a believer, how do you know? And if you're a believer, what does that mean about your attitude of humility and how it's displayed in life? So let's jump right in. James chapter 1, verse 18, which was last week's passage. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So God saved us by his own will through his word that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You're like a down payment. And God saved you so that you could be an evangelist, share the gospel, and save others. That's the first fruits. So this is talking about God's word. And then we hit verse 19. This is our passage for this morning. And it is this. We're going to consider an approach, approaching life, to approach life with a humble desire to listen well. This is what it says. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You remember we talked about James and all the thinking words? Here's another one. Know this. And what is it that we're supposed to know? Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person. You need to know, this is a command. What he's about to say, he is telling us that we have to do. He's not saying, hey, this is a nice suggestion. This is God saying, no, you are to be. And this applies to everybody. So if you're here, you need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So this is for everyone. We're supposed to know this. It's a command. It's for every relationship. Now think about the different relationships that you have. We're married. We have kids. We have parents. We work with people. We have friends. In every relationship, you are to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So let's just consider, why would you be quick to hear? Why is it so important to be a person that's quick to hear? And really, it does flow out of humility, and it comes down to, really, do you love people? Do you care about people? And we're quick to hear because we want to learn. So we just, in life, we realize, I need to learn, and I can learn from anyone. I remember one time we were traveling around, there's this homeless person on the side of the road asking for money, and so I saw my kids, and I'm trying to help them learn how to think about life and approach life. And so I gave them some money, and I said, go on over to that person, ask them what they need, ask them how you can pray for them, and help them out, but ask them for some advice. Just say to them, it, just, if you could give me any advice as a young person, what would it be? And I'm just thinking, I don't know this person, but they're homeless, I'm sure, as they think back over their life, there's a lot of things they might consider about here's how I ended up here. This is what's going on. And so I just wondered if they were to look at a kid, what would they say to that kid of, hey, make sure you do this? 
Um, to be a person that is always listening and always having a desire to learn, no matter who you're talking to. We listen because that's how we show love. We want to love people, want to care about them. And, and listening is such an important part of every relationship. We listen well because we want to pray for people. Sometimes you're in a conversation and maybe a person's saying things that you think are misguided or maybe they're not understanding things, but you can't pray for them specifically and well if you don't listen to what they're saying. And we listen because we want to be able to help. Even if you need to point something out or even if you want to speak into somebody's life, you need to understand well how they're thinking to be able to help them. And so listening is a very important part of life. Now, Proverbs talks about listening. And, you know, James is a proverbial type of a book. It's, it's, it's a wisdom book, so it, it makes these general statements. And in some ways, it's like Proverbs. And this is a general statement about how you need to manage your life and relationships. And you've heard God has given us two ears and one mouth, so we should listen twice as much as we talk. Uh, that's, I didn't make that up. I've heard that over and over. But look at this, quick to listen. Proverbs 18, 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. See, there's some people, all they want to do is talk. All they want to do is they, they have no desire to understand. They just want to talk. And I just want you to know, that's not a Christian quality. Christians aren't by nature fools. And yet so many people, all they think about is what they want to say. Proverbs 18, 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. I, there's times that I was trying to tell people a story and ask them for some advice on something, but before I got to the part of the thing I actually I wanted advice from, I was just setting it up. They started giving me advice. <laughs> it's like, I haven't even told you actually what I'm trying to tell you. Um, we need to be people that listen and that think before we talk. The next part is, it's part of that. You can't listen well if you're speaking quickly, so we're supposed to be slow to speak. Sometimes speaking too quickly, it, linders, it hinders listening. Uh, have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and they're not even done talking, but you're just waiting for your turn to say what you were thinking about saying? Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and then they ask you a question about what they just said and you realize that you weren't listening? And you're like, mm, how do I answer that? So what do you think? Oh, I was set up for that? I don't know. Speaking too fast opens us up to saying the wrong things or saying the wrong things in the wrong way. And the other thing is that it, it results in saying too many things. You know, Proverbs talks about our words. You know, Jesus says that we're going to give an account for every careless word that we speak. And so we need to be quick to listen and we need to be slow to speak but this is what Proverbs says when words are many transgression is not lacking but whoever restrains his lips is prudent we do well to speak less and to listen more even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips he's deemed intelligent you know we could sometimes do ourselves a favor by just not talking one time I was in a, in a class in seminary it was an advanced Hebrew grammar class and the teacher was talking about something, and I raised my hand, and I made a comment. And everybody in the entire class just broke out laughing. And the teacher laughed. 
And I realized, okay, I just said something really stupid and I have no idea what it is, but everybody else in this room knows what I said that was dumb. And I just thought, you know, Raj, talk less. That would be a better option. Uh, and this is really the heart of it. Proverbs 26.2, do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And sometimes we think so much about what we want to say and we don't listen the way we should because we think we know more than we do. And so we need to be people who are slow to speak and also that we are slow to get angry. I, I've seen people who in a conversation, something's stated and they are immediately offended and angry. Has that ever happened in your marriage relationship? I mean, well, no, wait. Have you ever seen that happen in somebody else's marriage? Or sometimes kids parenting relationships, a parent will say something to their kids and they're just immediately mad or a kid says something and the parents are just immediately mad. That's not a Christian quality. That's not a humble response to life. We're supposed to be people that are slow to get angry. And, you know, amazingly, Proverbs says some things about that too. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. One time I was in a room full of pastors and one of the pastors got criticized for something. So he did something, somebody in his ministry was offended by it and complained to one of the other pastors. So we go into a pastor's meeting and this pastor who was not there who has no idea what happened, and I was there, it wasn't me, but I was there, I saw what happened, and this person who has no idea what happened starts criticizing one of the other pastors. And I was just sitting there, I was thinking, hmm, I wonder how this is gonna go. And I actually thought about coming to his defense and saying, uh, yeah, you, you got this wrong, but I thought, no, I wanna see what happens. And so initially this, this pastor is getting criticized. He had this like really stern look on his face. And then all of a sudden I saw his expression change. And then he says to this other person who, by the way, completely missed the boat on what happened. He looks at him and he says, you know what? Thank you for what you said. I'm going to think about that. That's going to be really helpful. And it wasn't that the advice he was given was bad advice. It just didn't actually apply to the situation. And it was just amazing to me because that was not his initial response. But before this other person was done talking, he had made a decision about how he was going to respond. And so it just, it's just a, a, an expression of godliness to be slow to anger, to think, okay, wait, maybe he didn't read this right, but is there something that I can learn from what he said? By the way, that's the way that Christians approach life. And it's because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Do you remember Matthew 6.33? It says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Like our purpose is God's righteousness. God's righteousness in our life, God's righteousness in the lives of others. And when we listen and when we're slow to anger, that is actually what produces God's righteousness. And so we need to be careful to do that. So um, I'm related to a really, really smart person. So my sister growing up 
was incredibly smart, but she could not find anything. Like she'd get lost going across the street, but incredibly intelligent. And she married somebody. I used to often wonder, you know, who's she going to marry? What's, I just had a hard time picturing somebody that was going to fit well with my sister. And she ends up marrying this guy that is so incredibly intelligent, but can find anything, can build anything, can do anything. And uh, he was an engineer, and he used to make the missile launchers on some of the fighter jets. He didn't make them, but he was an engineer, so he, he participated in that and just decided, you know, I don't want to spend my life doing things that kill people. I think I want to become a doctor so I can help people and use my life for a different calling. So he ends up becoming a doctor, incredibly intelligent. When he was going to take one of his board exams, you know, everybody's stressed out and studying all night and trying to figure out how they're going to get through it. And he just went across the street from the place and he's like a museum where they had some, some uh, tours. And he's like, okay, there's a, there's a tour in an hour and a half. I need to be done by then. So he goes over, takes his test real quick, and then runs across the street and goes to a tour. I mean, he's just so smart. He said, I never studied with anybody. I could have skipped every class in medical school. I could just read the book and learn it. I mean, just this guy's so intelligent and is a very gracious, humble person. In fact, we had a relative that was um, about to die and just had this medical condition, was just getting weaker and weaker and ended up moving home. Her family was taking care of her, and her life was coming to an end. And Michelle was just talking to him and she said, hey, this is happening and this is happening and this is happening. He says, okay, tell her to go to her doctor. I think she has a very rare disease that a lot of people can miss. Tell her to go to her doctor and tell him to run this test. So she goes to her doctor and she said, can you run this test? And he's like, oh, that's ridiculous. It's not that. Things continue. And things are just getting worse and worse. And finally, she goes to a doctor and she says, will you run this test? They run the test and she immediately, a very simple solution, ends up recovering. <laughs> it's totally fine. It was a simple thing. So I'm sitting in church one day and he used to go to church with us and Michelle's standing there and somebody comes up and there's a medical discussion going on and he starts to answer and he's immediately interrupted by somebody sitting next to him who, I don't know, maybe they read the internet or they did something, <laughs> and just starts correcting him and telling him he's wrong. And his response was to just smile, listen humbly, never said a thing. And I just think, you know what, instead of talking, that person should have been listening. And in life, how many times do we miss the opportunity to learn because we talk too much and because we think we know more than we do. Now, some people have said that this whole passage is not about interpersonal relationships, and I think that's wrong. Think about your relationships, how we can be quick to speak, we can be slow to listen, and quick to get angry. angry. Uh, we, we can do those things. Now, take those attitudes in relationships. Think about your relationships with people, your family members, and James takes the proverbial statement and then he says therefore and that's our second thing that we're going to consider here is that we need to humbly receive God's life-changing word therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul Take those prideful attitudes that come out sometimes in relationships and think about how they're supposed to be applied to God's word. 
here's the deal. If you apply humility properly toward God's word, that will transform your relationships and everything else. But that's a lesson that actually speaks into this because some people approach God's word the way they approach relationships. They immediately get angry. They don't listen. They, they uh, want to talk. They want to say what they think is true instead of saying, no, God, what do you tell me is true? And so that gets worked out. It says, therefore. So this is now applying something from that. And so when it comes to receiving God's word, we do that with a pure life putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, one of the things that gets in the way of us listening to God's word is when we pollute our lives with sin, when we're attracted to things that are wrong, when we're compromising, it affects our ability to read and understand. The the ability of a mind to rationalize is amazing. And I've seen people who you read scripture and it just says something so plain, but because of some sin that they want to hold on to in their life, That's amazing how they can try to argue and explain away what the Bible says. And so part of humbly receiving God's word, to approach God's words correctly, you need to take sin out of your life, to put away all filthiness, all rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So Meekness is humility, it's graciousness, it's welcoming, and we're to receive the word implanted. That's becoming a part of you. You should think God's word. As you read it, it should become a part of your life, and it says, which is able to save your soul. So when you think about, when you think about uh, humility, did you know that you actually can't even become a Christian without humility? I was thinking about why people reject God's word. Sometimes because of sinfulness, but sometimes people don't hear and understand God's word because they're not actually regenerated. They're not Christians. They, in fact, may be religious, but they don't have the Holy Spirit in their life to help them. They might remember praying a prayer. They might go to church every week. They may have been grown up in church, but they reject God's word because they're not spiritually regenerated. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. Like it's quite an amazing thing. And I would say a spiritually dangerous thing. If in your life you read the Bible and say, but I don't like that, I'm gonna discount that. No, I don't care if it says that. That actually says something very significant about your spiritual condition. That's actually one of the things I think about with my kids. If they're struggling with something and I read scripture to them and I say, hey, this is what God says, I don't care about that. That would make me respond and say, do you actually even know the Lord? Because Christians, the Christian life begins with humility. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit for they will see the kingdom of God. You can't even become a Christian without humility. And, and this is where sometimes as we approach evangelism, we don't actually even understand the whole process of salvation to start with. And sometimes we'll approach an unbeliever and sometimes this is actually even because sometimes the people doing it are not believers. But sometimes we approach unbelievers and say, you're the judge, it's your courtroom, let me allow God to present himself before you, I hope you'll find him acceptable. 
Um, that's actually not how it works. God is the judge and everybody's in his courtroom. And when we bring God's word, we have truth and we unapologetically deliver it. And sometimes it's rejected. But Paul tells us why in 1 Corinthians. He tells us this. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. See, God's word's powerful if God's using it to save you. But if you're an unbeliever, it's foolishness. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.21, listen to this. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called. So if God's working in your life, then the gospel's not foolishness and it's not a stumbling block. But if God's not doing a miracle in your heart, the gospel is foolishness and it is a stumbling block. So sometimes if you present the gospel to people and you say things that the Bible says and they go, that is ridiculous. You can go, okay, well, I presented it correctly. Um, and, but if God is working in a person's heart, it's gonna be powerful. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then here's the last one. Paul goes on, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he's not even able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So having said that, what does that mean about you? I'll tell you what that means if you've come to the place that you hear about Jesus and you believe him and you've accepted him, it's because God did a miracle in your life and in your heart. It's not because you're so smart you figured it out. It's because God saved you. And so as believers, we're humbled. God, I could not have done this without your help. And that's the foundation of what it means to be a believer. And by the way, when we're sharing the gospel, and God's given us a brain, he's given us a mind, we should talk about things from an intellectual perspective, but we realize our ability to speak intellectually will never save anyone. So we do that and then we pray that God would use that and change a heart. And so we need to be people who humbly receive God's word implanted. Now, if, if a person doesn't receive God's word, why do believers receive God's word? First uh, John 2.20 says, you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. So we have the help of the Holy Spirit to understand scripture. First Corinthians 2.16, it says, for who has understood the mind of the Lord to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. From a spiritual perspective, God's given us the Holy Spirit to help us know truth. He's given us the mind of Christ Jesus says in John chapter 26, my sheep hear my voice. So if you're a believer and Jesus is speaking, you hear that, you understand it, you accept it. That's a spiritual miracle. So that's why a person who reads the Bible and says, yes, I don't like this part, I don't want that. I don't like this person, I don't want that. You gotta ask yourself a question. Is it possible 
that you have the mind of Christ, you read what God says and say, no, that's ridiculous, I don't accept that. Is it possible that you have the Holy Spirit and read what the Bible says and go, my, I think that's wrong. Is that possible? Or as God's sheep, do you read God's word, know it's true, embrace it, welcome it? Now, you know, in my life, I've read the Bible and gotten mad at it before. And I was actually a believer when this happened. I read the book of Job, and I read how God volunteered Job for suffering. It was pretty upsetting to me, and I just thought, that's not fair. How could that happen? And the reason that that happened is I was a new Christian. I wasn't used to some of these thoughts. I had all kinds of thinking that was self-centered and worldly-minded, and I was new at filling my life with God's word. So it was new for me. But the Holy Spirit helped me struggle through that and work through that and be changed. And so there are times that we read the Bible and we are believers and we don't like things it says. But the result of the Holy Spirit is to work in your life and convict you and bring you to the place that you embrace it. But if you have a long-standing pattern of disregarding God's word, you have to ask yourself, is it even possible that I'm a believer? That is so unnatural for a Christian. So here's the third thing. And here's where James is going to help us. James is going to help us um, in the th- our third point, which is this. We need to humbly put God's word into practice. Look at James 1.22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So what is it that you're deceiving yourself about? Well, it's salvation. If you hear it and don't do it, you're deceiving yourself For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in what he does. So, you're deceiving yourself if you read the word and walk away. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says that the word of God is powerful and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, judging the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we read God's word and it tells us about ourselves, tells us where we need to change, where we need to grow, what's true about life. And so believers need that and so they look into the mirror of God's word and they make changes. Now, I can just look at you and I can tell all of you that you woke up this morning, you looked in the mirror, and you made some changes. Because I'm just guessing that not one of you woke up looking the way you look right now. You guys all look pretty good. There are times that Michelle and I have looked at our kids on the way out the door to school or church and said, you need to go look in the mirror. (laughs) And they skipped that part. And sometimes one of our big problems as believers is we don't spend time looking into the mirror of God's word. I just want to encourage you, in our Bible app, you can tap on a little Bible reading program. We just did this 30 days through the New Testament where it's kind of a summary to go through it. And then when that is done, there's going to be another section. I just think how fun for us as believers, if you don't have a regular Bible reading program, do that plan in the app. If you're not sure what to do, just do it. Wouldn't it be kind of fun if just as we go through life, we're all kind of reading similar things and the Lord's working on us in similar ways and we could talk about some of these things. So I want to encourage you, if you need a Bible reading program, just get the app, tap on that thing. There's something there. When this 30 days is over, we're going to come up with something else. So I just want to encourage you, 
you need to be put in God's word. It says here, looking intently. We need to look intently at God's word and we need to recognize it's perfect. It's not missing anything. It's complete and it's a law of liberty. God's word just brings freedom into our life. It's not slavery, it's wisdom. Now, how do you know that when it says you're deceiving yourself, that's talking about salvation? Well, he comes back to this whole idea of deceiving yourself. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious, so now James is gonna give some tests. You hear God's word, but you don't put it into practice. Well, here's some specific things. Have you ever said to somebody, you obey? They're like, oh yeah, of course, I, I always obey. Well, okay, do you do this and do you do this and do you do this? And they're like, well, okay, maybe I don't obey. And so James is gonna pick out some pretty important things. He's gonna list two of them. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, that person's religion is worthless. So he's talking about deceiving yourself about your religion. If you don't use your tongue the way God says you should use it, which is to speak God's word, to be encouraging, to be kind, to be loving, if you use your tongue to slander and hurt and tear people down, which James is going to come back to this in verse chapter 3, and he's just going to talk about how we don't speak against people who are made in God's image. We love God and we love these people around us. And so, but he says, if you're not dealing with your tongue, your religion's worthless. Now, this is an encouragement to me because if you read James chapter 3 and it comes back, do you always use your tongue right? Um, I don't think there's a week that goes by that I didn't do something wrong with my tongue. A lot of times I come home and that's one of the things I'll tell Michelle, I think I said this stupid thing today. Or I think I said this and I probably shouldn't have said that. And I think this person maybe took this and that's not how they should have taken it. And so I'm just thankful that uh, James in chapter three says if you deal with your tongue correctly, then you're perfect because nobody can tame the tongue. So it's the fact that we struggle and fail, that's okay. But we need to take seriously our words. We need to be convicted about our words. We need to be addressing our words. People who just let their tongues run wild, who stab people in the back, who harm people with no thought, no consideration, that is not an expression of Christianity. And so James just picks that up and says, you dealing with your tongue. And then he goes on and he picks something else that's really challenging. Now I shared with you that these Jewish believers that James is writing to, they're struggling. And they're struggling because they're in the midst of persecution. They've been spread out. There's probably a famine. They're struggling with their own needs. There's all kinds of difficulties in their life. And then he picks out this other example. This is the, he, he deals with, uh, in James chapter two, genuine faith. He's gonna deal with how we treat people in need. But he, he's jumping on it right here. It's kind of interesting how James is taking circumstances in their life and using it to say, how do you handle this circumstance? Are you a believer? Do you know the Lord? What does this say about, what, about who you are? And so he goes on and he says this. He says, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affl affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So when you're not sure where you're going to get food and you see somebody else who's a widow, who's destitute, or you see an orphan who has no way to provide for themselves, what are you going to do? 
I'm not sure if there's enough food to go around. Do you just roll up your window and drive on? See, some people, they, can, they help other people because they have plenty, right? And we always think if I had plenty, then I'd help. One of the things that I found out is that generous people are generous when they have little and they're generous when they have a lot. And people who are stingy when they have little are stingy when they have a lot. But James is just saying, when you see an orphan and a widow, do you visit them in their distress? Do you meet their needs? Do you care for them? Because that's pure and undefiled religion. And so, that, and that's one of the things that God says, that's a measure, it's a test. Are we generous? Do we care for others? And then to keep oneself unstained by the world. And so just uh, rejecting sin, avoiding sin. And so we need to, as we think these things through, we need to approach life with humility. Humility in our relationships, in our speech, with a desire to learn. Humility toward God's word. God, I want to hear what you say. You know, being quick, to, being quick to listen applied to God's word means we're reading it every day. And being quick to apply and obey which means that we are caring for the needs of the people around us. As we think about our culture, we can have a culture that, uh, w- that is looking at injustice and wanting to help injustice and wanting to solve injustice. And one of the things that can be frustrating is that our unbelieving world has no idea how to di- diagnose a problem and they have no idea how to solve a problem. But if you're a Christian, a humble person, God should use you to deal with the social injustices around you. You should be a person who's caring for needs. That's just a natural part of being a Christian. And this is the other thing about that. It has nothing to do with earning favor, increasing our standing before God. I'm going to go feed somebody homeless so I can get into heaven. No. Um, we just do that as a, as a natural outflow of God's work and God's love in our life. So let me just encourage you with this. If you see sin in your life and you hate it, good. That's how Christians feel about sin. Being a believer is not the absence of sin, and we're not trying to be good enough for God. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. I'm merciful and loving. And so if you're struggling with sin, don't give up. Don't run away. Run to God. Run to his people. But you need to be humble toward God's word, willing to take it, embrace it, submit to it, and work it out in your life. Let me pray for us. Lord, we know that you are holy and you are serious about our obedience. And Lord, that's because you're good and that's because you intend to bless us. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us to love you, that we would honor you, that we would obey you. Lord, we are so thankful that our standing before you is not based on our works. But Lord, when you transform our heart, that does result in changed works. And so, Lord, we're so thankful. Pray that you would give us humility in our life in your name. Amen.